Hello, everybody. Welcome to Popcorn Peeps episode 20. My name is Jordan Costa, and this is the podcast in which we venture through the Hollywood Reporter's top 100 films of all time and give our thoughts along the way. Today, we will be discussing the 1984 drama directed by Milos Forman and adapted by Peter Schaefer from his 1979 stage play, Amadeus. The film features Marie Abraham, Tom Hulse, and Elizabeth Barrage. Amadeus was nominated for 53 awards and received 40. Among those were eight Academy Awards, which included Best Picture. In 2019, the film was also selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. But without further ado, today I am joined by Archduke Craig Moore. Hey everybody. Opera aficionado, Sarah Alexander. Hi Jordan. And powdered wig specialist, Chris McMullen. <laughs> Good evening. Before we get started, Chris, I would like to preface, this film is not historically accurate. We do not want to repeat the Braveheart incident. It had all the high notes. It was a little compressed timeline, but it was it was more accurate than Braveheart. If we're not going to talk about how this isn't historically accurate, I literally have nothing to contribute to this podcast. Uh-oh. <laughs> So what did you guys think? Yeah, it was pretty good. I do wonder if at this point it would be faster in the intros to mention if a film hasn't been inducted into the Library of Congress, because it seems like they all have. Yeah. What if this list was made by Congress? Oh my God, it's Big Brother. It's oh, propaganda. this film was made in 1984. It's all coming together. <laughs> How about you, Chris? What did you think? I loved it. It was delightful. Of all of us, I thought you were the one going to be the most angry. Yeah, no, you, I'm an enigma wrapped in a riddle. <laughs> okay, there. Wrapped in a bacon grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> I'm too complicated for you to understand, little boy. He really is, though. I thought this would be down with Seven Samurai for you, especially when you're like, I know where I'm placing this. I just assumed it was the bottom of your list. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm a very interesting person. I'm not one note. Many flavors. How about you, Sarah? I really enjoyed this. I thought it was such a clever way to tell a biography from this contrasting arch, arch nemesis of sorts telling the story where it's not just following Wolfgang through his life, that usual trope that happens in biopics. So I really enjoyed it. Can you have an arch nemesis if only one person even acknowledges that the other person is even an enemy? Yes, I think that makes it so much better. Absolutely. Look at the Joker and Batman. The Joker thinks Batman's his best friend. That's true. That's true. I feel like there's a better analogy. There was one thing that I loved about the way this film was designed was that we were hearing about the story of Mozart from another person who was around him. It wasn't a narrator's point of view. It was actually someone that was participating in his life that was telling us this story. It was a really interesting way. I thought this film had the potential to be a masterpiece, completely lost me in the third act, but the setup is so good. You get that princess bride-esque storytelling structure, what I really like, and I love that the main character is a piece of shit. This should happen way more often. As you start to loathe Salieri more and more, you start to sympathize more and more with Mozart, and the film does this reversal as it slowly swaps who you care about and who you're feeling bad for. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it mm -hmm. introduces Mozart as this total just piece of shit rock star. Star. he's drinking and eating and you know chasing the girls around when he's actually got a big job to do and here's Salieri like I would give anything to be in this guy's shoes just for a minute and you hate Mozart at the start because he has no idea what he's got but by the end you're right Jordan your mind totally switches around yeah well let's talk about some of the characters what did you guys think of our lead Salieri I loved him I thought he did such a fantastic job 
to have it come from the point of he recognizes how talented Mozart is and he doesn't really hate Mozart. He's just so frustrated with God for giving Mozart this ability that he can't understand it. And one of my favorite scenes was even just the beginning when he's the old man in the asylum and he's playing the music and when he plays that Mozart tune and the priest is like, oh yeah, that's a banger. I know that one. (laughs) I just thought F. Murray Abraham did such a fantastic job with the range of Salieri. It was really great to watch. I never disliked him. You could empathize with him. Like, he was awful. He destroyed Mozart's life. Like, actively destroyed it. He's a great character that you just love to hate. Oh, no, I didn't hate him. I totally could empathize with him. I did too, Chris. Oh, my God. That's worrisome. It's not from that sense. It's the fact that, like, he's obviously an extreme version, but it's an emotion we've all probably been through. Like, how did this person get so talented? It's wasted on them, given, like, their personality or whatever. I don't think I hated him. Like, he gave gave up his life for God to get this talent and it was given to somebody who chases girls and makes poop jokes. Mm-hmm. So you could understand his frustration. Like you're just mediocre. But when you're confronted with adversity, instead of using it as an opportunity to elevate yourself, he just curses God and throws temper tantrum after temper tantrum. He is a spoiled child. And despite the fact that he is an old man, has no semblance of understanding that uh, that he can, he can become Mozart if he devotes himself. He just thinks he's hit his peak and there's no way he mm. can get better. I don't think some people can. Yeah, actually, one of my notes was Salieri is this fantastic foil to Mozart. But what we see is Mozart's, for lack of a better word, God-given talent versus Salieri that spent his whole life dedicated to the craft. He wasn't even mediocre. He was excellent. Yeah, he thinks he's entitled to every single thing he wants. And that's what makes Mm. him a little pissy little child. He has the most punchable face on the list so far. No, no, I don't think he feels entitled to everything he wants. I think he is willing to work hard for everything he wants. And Mozart doesn't have to even lift a finger. They think about their first interaction together when Salieri goes to this great lengths to build this composition, this march to welcome Mozart in. Mozart hears it for 30 seconds, knows the entire thing by heart and improves it on a whim just because he's fooling around on the piano. Salieri worked his fingers to the bone to do something for someone who he at that point admired at least the reputation of and then the guy shows up and just totally shows him up in 12 seconds and makes him look like a fool. Okay, well, what about what he did to uh, Constanzi? He tricks her into exposing herself, humiliates her and sends her on her way. Still not not such a bad guy? Here's the thing about Salieri. If you're listening to this podcast, even you've listened to previous episodes, especially the Lord of the Rings ones, you'll know my biggest pet peeve in movies is having a villain that I don't give a shit about. Salieri is not that guy because I can relate to Salieri. I think most people can relate to Salieri. If you've tried to do something and you've had a friend who's just better than you, no matter how much effort you put into it, you're never going to be as good as your friend. You can train and practice and study every day of every week for a year and you're not even going to attain what they do hustling on the weekends just playing around like a goofball everybody feels that emotion salieri is my patron (laughs) (laughs) but i didn't go to tell all that guy's friends that he was actually a child molester The scene with Stanzi, I didn't view that as a purposeful humiliation. I think when he originally made the proposition, he viewed it as this is something I can take from Mozart, like he's taken from me, I'll fuck his wife. 100%. 
But then when it came down to the moment, he couldn't do it. Like he obviously couldn't say that to her. So that lack of communication just resulted in her being humiliated. But I don't think it was an intentional to hurt her. Just a little sexual assault, but no humiliation. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I agree. I do really think Salieri is a good character. And I do think he is relatable at the beginning. But I think as he sort of descends down into his own state of madness, I think it was quickly pulled. But that's okay. You're just too pure, Jordan. What is art if it's not an extrapolation? of the human condition, right? Like you and I would not likely ever get jealous to a point of murdering our rival, right? But <laughs> Salieri did. And this is Broadway. This is a play. It's dramatic. I get it. What I do love so much though, more than anything about this character is the irony in his story. So he, he works so hard to drive Mozart into madness and by doing this drives himself mad as well. I just love that. That's just good storytelling. That's a good villain his uppance comes at his own hands yeah a taste of his own medicine and oh my gosh arguably the best part about the whole movie at the very end when he declares himself the patron saint of mediocrity and absolves the rest of the asylum as he's wheeled away in this chair this feeble old man yeah that was so good brilliant it was so good as much as i like the character and the trajectory throughout the course of the film i do want to say that i felt like his evil deeds at the end were not even really as evil as some of his stuff from the beginning of the film i thought he was going to get immensely more wicked as things went on but i thought his deeds and his interference in mozart's life kind of trickled off and i almost would have wanted him to become even meaner to him but what was the point because he had already ruined any job prospects for mozart he was living destitute and an alcoholic and only playing in and his wife had left him brought yeah vaudeville shows so i don't know what more you could do like he got what he wanted he secured his position maybe let me rephrase this a little bit i thought the root of what drove Mozart mad being his kind of the way Salieri like kept reconnecting with his father's memory and how that drove him to madness. I didn't think that that was a really great motive for being the final nail in the coffin for Mozart. I thought, yeah, that's very sad that you loved your father and you had this difficult relationship with, with him and you weren't able to mend that before he passed. But to be so haunted by that, that that is what tugs you down into this, this alcoholism, this uh, adultery, this, this chaotic life situation and ultimately leads to your death felt a little too dramatic. I know it's a drama, blah, blah, blah. There's no such thing as too dramatic. Daddy issues are a real thing. Maybe I'm spoiled by the pacing of modern films, and maybe it's because I watched the director's cut, but it certainly felt like Salieri's plot became plotting about halfway through the film, where it was just, I'm going to show up at his house and tell him to work faster again. Like, how many times do I need to do this? It really slowed down to a substantial crawl. And that's funny. I had no issue with the pace. I thought it was perfect. I had such a hard time. I felt like there was so much repetition in the last third where he would just show up in the mask, go faster, and then Mozart would be like, oh, oh drink, no. and then yell at Constanzi, and then go fool around at the whorehouse. It took so long between him saying, okay, write the death mask, and him actually like falling into despair. The process was so long and drawn out that I thought if you condense that a little bit, you might sacrifice a little bit of the gradient of his madness, but I think it would be a good trade-off. I would agree, Jordan. That's where the wheels fell off for me as well. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about Mozart? 
No, why? Why would we talk about Mozart? No. <laughs> the Mozart laugh. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Literal quote from Chris, I adore that laugh. I don't have enough thumbs to put up. I thought it was fun. Just a nice bit of whimsy. Even in his most depraved, he still had this... Innocent isn't the right word, but some synonym for innocent joy to him. It was a boyish charm. Yeah. It was well done by the actor to portray how young Mozart was at that point in his life. Like He died when he was like 30-something. Mm -hmm. And that was his whole life. So when he started this adventure at four years old, and you never get a chance to mature because you're famous from four years old, he's standing in front of kings and people like who matter, and he's just a boyish doofus who makes fart jokes <laughs> and they tolerate him because he's a musical genius and i don't think that he seemed to have any malice in his in his actions he was just like no like this is what i'm doing now and he wasn't trying to hurt anybody he just lived in the moment i like that he was cocky but he wasn't all just bark he was bite too he had the skills to back it up and he just pushed the line as far as he could to get what he wanted with his play that was a band in austria and just the little things he did to interact with his wife at the beginning he was just very much willing to do what he wanted regardless of social culture or social tradition to kind of live his life and experience what he wanted to experience and I thought that was really cool. I thought that was an interesting contrast to all of these stuffy aristocrats who were like, you have to go by the rules. Mm -hmm. He's the original rock star. He was a little less depraved than my ideal of a rock star, but yes, total rock star. Yeah, and well, I think he's easy to kind of look at and be like, oh, look at this little shit at the beginning of the movie. He's not even a bad guy. He's just got this Austin attitude that rubs Salieri the wrong way and like Mozart suffers for it but he doesn't even know why he's suffering or why his life is so shitty this is just mm -hmm. who he is and the way he presents himself and his demeanor was und his undoing and he just was completely unaware of it I don't think it would ever occur to him that someone could be sabotaging him especially Salieri who he thought was his only friend so shit <laughs> there's a moment in the film where Mozart goes to Salieri and is talking to him like you're my only friend you're the only one I can rely on and that was heartbreaking oh yeah yeah because then is that the one Salieri's like, and then I didn't go to the emperor and say anything. I just ignored it and let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, I didn't say anything to the emperor. What did you guys think of Stasi? Stasi? No. Stasi. Stasi is, is, is the German secret police. I really liked her. And I liked that we saw a range from her, from supporting wife, showing up at his shows, to going to Salieri for money, to being a manager of sorts, and finally walking out on him and doing what's best for her children but then realizing she loves him too much and coming back. I, I really liked the range. It was a lot more interesting than some of the women. She was keeping the train on the rails for sure. Yeah. Like without her, Mozart would have been in a lot more trouble a lot sooner. Agreed. Well, you saw what happened to him when she left. Yeah. That was when he <laughs> fell apart. Yeah. They did her justice too. Like they could have so easily made her like the nagging wife. Mm -hmm. A Blanche. They could have turned her into the a Blanche. Blanche. They could have blanched her. They didn't blanch. <laughs> they blanched it. They just develop her so well and I think they show how to time passes within her person and how it affects her personality so well. When it starts off, she's young, she's whimsical, but as she kind of encounters a lot of this struggle, she really changes as a character and she becomes a lot less whimsical and a lot more responsible. And uh, she gets really like quite dragged down to earth, really trying to clean up this mess that Mozart has made. Not not Mozart has made, but like- He's made it. His frivolous spending and their like financial affairs yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. And trying to like be real with the relationship with the father. She had the guts to say what Mozart didn't. Mm -hmm. She said what Mozart wouldn't even think think 
to say. I don't think he would ever talk back to his father, so he wouldn't even think of doing that. For lack of a better word, the balls in the relationship. Exactly. And Mozart's dad wasn't even a bad guy. He just wanted what he thought was best for his son. His son was just like, I got other plans for you, pops, later. I want to party in Vienna. Screw Salzburg. <laughs> Is there anything else you guys want to chat about? Uh, we can Maybe we'll talk about it later too, but that scene in the bedroom at the end where Salieri is scribing for him. Uh, he's like, slow down, you go too fast. But and he's just like totally in awe. And he has this like envy for Mozart was just amazing. I agree. That's one of my favorite scenes. That was a hard part for me to watch as well, because Mozart still thinks even on his deathbed, this man is helping me finish my last work when Salieri's just making sure that he can get that funeral dirge written before Mozart dies. So then he can take it for himself is how I took that. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, he that's what he wanted. He was going to sell it as his own. Absolutely. And you did get that tense moment where Constanzi goes, what you fucker, what are you yeah. doing here? <laughs> like, you're an asshole. Get out of my house. I don't give a shit what you want for my husband. Out. That was something I wanted to bring up is because we all watched the director's cut and the scene where she and Salieri have their moment where she's embarrassed and takes off her top, that was added in the director's cut. And I think that it gave the ending a different tone than what it originally would have been because you have that sense of embarrassment that she's already had with him versus just her coming home and finding him there and thinking he's taking advantage of her husband. Yeah, there wouldn't have been that same kind of tension. No. And I understand it was actually the director that originally took it out. It was a choice they made, but then when he redid it, he put it back in. He was really scared that the subject matter was already something going to be on like the fringe of what moviegoers would be interested in. They're like, so I'm going to pick something really niche. I'm going to throw a lot of opera in there and I'm going to make it three hours long. People are going to freaking hate this. Let me see what I can do to make this more. And at least give them the titties. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, let's see what I can do to make this more palatable to a general audience. So he took out about 25 minutes worth of footage to try and appease what he thought were going to be his haters. And then it came out and won all these freaking awards. And he probably should have left them in there from the beginning. Exactly. I think I would have liked the theatrical version with that scene in there. The extension to all of the operas I could have done without. They were great to hear. They're great to see. But by that point, I was tired. Like I'm two and a half hours into this movie. I want to see where it goes. Yeah, this emperor gave it two yawns. Too many notes. <laughs> oh, no. The, the, the opera stuff could have been longer. Oh, Chris. <laughs> no. Christ, all Friday. The music, kid. First of all, which one of you degenerates are going to complain about the music this time? Not me. Oh, don't you. Better be none of you. Is the finest score we have heard in a movie yet. It was incredible. I agree. It's there right under Slumdog. No! <laughs> I'm, kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> I forgot to slap you. <laughs> Damn it! I saw him yesterday! I was actually watching this movie and I was astounded at how good this guy's music is 200 years later. The music in this movie is obviously so good and fits the tone perfectly. Nothing says hoity-toity high society like some Mozart, some opera. I couldn't give you a favorite, but I watched the film and then I listened to probably about two and a half hours of the soundtrack again when I was just thinking about it, like trying to be a little more analytical about it. But it's just all good and it's all very technical, all very nuanced. There's a reason why people still play it in opera houses today. I like the juxtaposition between opera and Mozart and that highbrow life and then versus who Mozart actually was and what he found funny and what he enjoyed doing was pretty lowbrow. And then just on that topic for music, Mozart recently became popular again. If you ever fell out of favor on TikTok, there was a challenge to recreate the vocal notes from the Ari Königer, Die Holle Rache Kocht in meinem Herzen from Die Saubeflöte. It was like that one where the lady is like, oh, 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 oh. so it was 
trending for a while. Oh my god, Mozart's trending. Everything's cyclical. Mozart's coming back. He's coming back. He'll follow the favor. 100 years, he'll come back. My only complaint was, as, as you said, Sarah, I felt like when I'm two and a half hours deep, and this is already a bit of a slow burn for me, the Don Giovanni performance was great. It was cool. It fit the film really well. But instead of five minutes of it, maybe give me three. Yes. Nope, nope, nope. Just nope, little nope. moments like that that can accelerate that last third of the movie. It was time. I agree with you, Jordan. Have you guys ever been to like opera or ballet, like an actual performance? I've been to a ballet. No, and if it's anything like what I saw, I won't be. But that's different because you're immersed in it. You're part of it. It's not I'm watching a movie about someone who wrote it and it's going on in the background. Like it's, I don't know. Being there is different than watching it. Frankly, it was too much. It was exhausting. Yeah, the dancers were cool to watch and some of the props were neat and the vaudeville stuff was funny, but... The vaudeville stuff was great. My God, it was so goddamn long. Really? Not at all. You guys are nuts. It was wonderful. It was a three hour long movie, Chris. (laughs) Holy fuck. How long am I supposed to sit in front of this thing and watch a biography about a man who's been dead since 1780? Holy fuck. Chris wanted the whole operas in there. Probably it should have been about an 3.30. (laughs) Chris, watching the Don Giovanni performance in this film made me feel the same way I felt when I was experiencing the wedding scene from the deer hunter. (laughs) (laughs) It's not bad, but it had that let's wrap it up. Vibe. Oh my let's god. Come on, boys. Let's go. You Philistines. It was wonderful. Chris is probably thinking, what's my image look like on this show? I look like that old grumpy dude. I hate everything. No, I gotta shake it up. We need a rebrand. Yeah, I gotta shake it up and be in favor of the opera and ballet. I do love opera. <laughs> I used to have a subscription to the Royal Canadian uh, Ballet. We went like two or three times a year. I'd love to do that, but I'm poor. Well, Chris, I misjudged you. You did. I I told you I'm multifaceted. You just see one side. So how about some of the other supporting elements, like the set design and the costumes in this film? Oh, the costumes. Holy shit. So good. They are really good. It was beautiful. The powdered wig budget must have been astronomical. Oh my God. One wig he had with like the pink. That was amazing. That's a style that needs to come back. Gave me David Bowie vibes with the pink wig. Maybe just the way it was cut. Yeah, the pink one had like a shag to it. The costumes were all incredible. A lot of the women's dresses were really impressive as well. I was very impressed that the female vocalist was able to hit the notes she was able to hit and for how long she was able to hit them while wearing a corset. Yeah. I didn't even know she had that much air in her lungs. Do you guys have any particular favorite scenes? I liked the emperor when Mozart's mother-in-law fainted and fell on the floor and the, the emperor he goes well there you have it and just walks away <laughs> he did that a few times he did that a, a, yeah it's like he's used to this Legend. Yeah. well there you go anyways i liked how the emperor was trying to come across as like this musical connoisseur but really he just went to his advisors for any opinion he yeah. even had he's like does this make sense is this a good critique okay yep yeah, that's my critique and no one's gonna tell him no because he's the freaking archduke emperor whatever i did like how he was like mediocre piano player too that was pretty great the other scenes I liked were, as Chris said already, the final scene where they're composing Requiem together. I thought that was awesome. And then I had read that Tom Hulse was purposely dropping things he should have said and missing it to cause confusion for Salieri when he was writing. So it was like that. What did you say? What You're going too fast. I also liked the scene where Stancy goes to Salieri to ask for money and she hands him Mozart's works and he's just going through it. He's like, there's no corrections on this. And she's like, oh yeah, he only does original copies. Like he doesn't make copies. This is it. 
And that was just amazing to see. Yeah, the, the recognition on his face, right, of just how sublime this music was. Craig and I, as virtuoso guitarists, understand the feeling of writing something just so perfect. It needs nothing. First try. <laughs> First try. Without even picking up the guitar to play it as you're going, you just get right from head to paper, like Prince used to do. <laughs> Did he really? Well, I, that's what I've heard. The other one that, that was really cool was they showed how hyper-intelligent he was in that scene where he pulls the girl from under the bed, where he just flips the words. Yes, that was really cool. That was amazing. He's just like, yeah, I can just turn these words around and say them backwards. Or even him just playing upside down. Like, yeah, this is me. The first thing you do when you learn hammer-ons on guitar is realize that you don't have to look at the neck and you just put it behind your head and you're like, I was running around my house. Look, I, look what I could do. <laughs> it was just like the same six notes over and over again. I do wonder sometimes people like Mozart if they have a mutation in their brain or something like where, where sound is calculated in his brain. Did he have a, a cluster of neurons that fired differently than they do in a nor normal person? Like Einstein with math, right? Was, was Einstein's math part of his brain grown differently? Totally. We're just four schmucks who wish we could be prodigies, but <laughs> ah, as is fate. Here we are. <laughs> I am just a mediocrity. I am 100% <laughs> fine being the patron saint of mediocrity. <laughs> I got one more fun fact. Hulse, who played Mozart, uh, practiced for four hours a day for this role prior to all of the filming, but it was all for naught as all the music got dubbed in after the fact and these hundreds of hours of piano practice he put in, none of it got put to use in the film. But he did look convincing playing it. I think it still would have, and it would have kind of lined up to his fingers when he was doing it, but yeah, mm -hmm. there's no way you can train for six hours a day for a handful of months compared to someone who's doing this their whole life. For sure. I had one point I wanted to bring up it was Amadeus, which we know was Mozart's middle name, but I guess the direct translation also means lover of God, which is interesting when you compare this to Salieri's story, so it's really applicable to both of them in the title. Salieri is just like a poser Christian anyway. <laughs> He's not dedicated. <laughs> no, I think he was devout and he lost his faith. Not to gatekeep Christianity, but bro, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? You know what? I think I disagree with you. I think Salieri was the poster child for a lot of Christians who have gone through their lives following the word of God until they come up against adversity. And once they're thwarted by adversity, they lose their faith. Or maybe they don't lose their faith, but they lose faith in God's plan for them. I think that that's a story that a lot of Christians can tell you. And then many of them find God again later in their lives. And some of them don't. Very profound, Craig. Love it. Well, that's why I'm here. That's why we keep you on the payroll. Speaking of payroll, no, I'm just kidding. We'll get to Patreon later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're following along on the YouTube video, you can check the link at the top of the description to see where we've ranked all the films we've seen so far. But Mr. Moore, where are you going to put Amadeus? I'm going to place Amadeus in 10th place below Fellowship of the Ring and above Inception. I am going to put Amadeus in 8th place below Dr. Zhivago and above Bonnie and Clyde. I want to go last. You want to go last? Oh, I got a bombshell. Putting this bad boy in 14th below Airplane Ooh. and above Reservoir Dogs. Whoa, this man. is a really good movie, but I, I'm not going to watch it again. The last hour just made me want to shoot myself. Why do you hate good things? <laughs> no, it's not even about length. It's just about nothing significant no, happening over a prolonged so period of time. It wasn't, man. It wasn't. It just wasn't. The ideas in it and the production value and the acting, of course, it's better than Airplane and Rocky and all this stuff but I had fun watching every minute of those films and I would do it again. Yeah, the highs weren't nearly as high, but the whole package I felt like was much
much more cohesive and well built as a piece of entertainment. Yeah, this thing stretched out for like 30 or 40 minutes longer than it had any business doing. The correct answer is fourth place below Dr. Zhivago and above Reservoir Dogs. What's your top five? My top five is Seven Memento, Dr. Zhivago, Amadeus, Reservoir Dogs. Wow, I agree with almost all of those. Yeah, we're just not usually up this high in your <laughs> list. I couldn't remember. Chris is allowed to place things in a single digit spot. <laughs> is that even allowed? Yeah, I did for the first five or the first nine. <laughs> the first nine. <laughs> well, yeah, that was the only time you were allowed. I love this movie. It's fantastic i think shifago just beat it out because it had more of a um it had communism in it let's just be honest communism yes no <laughs> Tell us it, it had more of an epic story i think that's why dr shivago beats it out so i don't have a problem with a three-hour movie and like you guys getting bored makes me weep for your generation no i'm not bored because it's long i'm bored because an hour goes by and nothing significant happens in the plot i don't give a shit about this guy writing this muse for his friend this hoity-toity fantasy bullshit I don't care about that. I'm there for the characters and all of these little side pieces coming in and disjointing the main cohesive narrative is unnecessary. So Chris, you're telling me, you're honestly going to tell me to the camera that you think there was no point in this film at all at which it was plotting or slow paced at all at any point? I didn't have any issue with the pacing at all. With all due respect, you're out of your fucking mind. <laughs> No way. Honestly, I watched this movie for four hours. I was actually like, I was in bed, so I was like totally comfy. At no point did it. There are not an hour of credits. Where did this extra hour come from? No, it just felt like it was four hours. No, like I was engrossed for every moment of this film. He fell asleep at the two hour mark and dreamt the ending and he came up with something <laughs> no, more exciting. It was, it was fantastic. That's what happened. He was in bed. It's the only explanation. The real story of what actually happened in real life was a better story than how this worked, where Salieri went on to teach music to Mozart's children and had a great relationship with Beethoven, was a well-respected composer. That would have been a better, more interesting ending than the 45-minute-long nothing fucking happening and then Mozart gets poisoned and dies, which didn't even happen. Did he get poisoned? No. He, I thought he just destroyed no. his liver. Mozart was a rock star who drank way too much, did too many drugs, fucked too many chicks, got all kinds of STDs and died the way you expect rock stars to die. The only difference is that he didn't die at 27 like everybody else did. <laughs> yeah, that was neat when he said, I'm 26. I'm like, oh God, he's dead in a year. I almost wish he did die at 27 so the film wouldn't have been so fucking long. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> That's amazing. I would rather watch this entire movie again than the fucking beacons in Return of the King. <laughs> Oh my God, shut up about the beacon. You know what? The beacons were, how you felt about the beacons is how I feel about the entire film from when Salieri makes his request until the end scene when he's helping Mozart write the Requiem. That's how I feel about that entire part is how you feel about those stupid beacons. Really? That's amazing. And I agree about the beacons. The beacons were terrible. And so was no. this part. Oh my God, so many bad opinions here. <laughs> it's number four on my list, so it spoke to me. It's a nice change to see Chris. All right, Chris, what are we going to be watching in episode 21? We will be watching On the Waterfront. We're going back to 1954. Marlon Brando before he was a blob. When he was still hot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he said it, not me. Streaming, we've got Crave Stars. So like the upgraded Crave. You can watch it on the CTV app with ads. So don't do that. Gross. And then the Stars package on, on Prime Video. And then there's a bunch of other places you can buy it. But if you can stream it, just stream it. Thank you very much. I'd like to extend a special thank you to the patrons that support the show 
show on patreon.com. Special thank you to Sarah Renier, Frank Costa, Ryan Saarinen, Jim Wamsley, and Travis Laporte. If you would like to support the show on patreon.com, there's a link at the top of the description. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. I wish I had just watched the Simpsons episode of this. Jesus Christ, could have saved myself two hours. Fuck, I don't get you guys.